0: This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. On today's episode, we'll be speaking individually to three incredibly accomplished ladies from three different continents. And while geographically they're thousands of miles or thousands of kilometers apart, one thing for sure that brings them closer together is that this past August at the 2023 Toastmasters International Convention that was held in the beautiful Nassau in the Bahamas, the three ladies became Toastmasters' newest accredited speakers. The accredited speaker program recognizes some of the most exceptional professional speakers in Toastmasters, It's designed for sought-after presenters who combine expert knowledge in a particular subject with mastery of the spoken word. The Accredited Speaker Award, also known as the AS designation, requires applicants to pass two levels of judging, and it's the highest earned designation recognized by Toastmasters International. Since the program began in 1981, only 93 candidates have earned this prestigious honor. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Stephanie Angelo from Chandler, Arizona, and Verity Price from Cape Town, South Africa, and my co-host Ryan goes down under to speak with Dale Reese bevan from Sydney, Australia. So sit back and enjoy listening to this terrific trio. Our guest today is Stephanie Angelo. Stephanie is a professional speaker, coach, and trainer, delivering workshops and keynotes across numerous industries for business owners, high-ranking leaders, developing leaders, and human resource professionals, helping them to develop strong company cultures through customized in-house programs. Stephanie is also the inventor of a board game, Company Culture, a game of workplace traction, not transaction. And if that's not enough, she also co-created Outrage, a game to recognize and change abusive behavior. Stephanie is also an award winning eSpeakers certified virtual presenter, a member of the National Speakers Association, the Society for Human Resource Management, a senior professional in human resources, a senior certified professional, and also an HRCI ethics certified individual. Stephanie rejoined Toastmasters in 2017 after previously being a member for a year in the early 2000s, and now is one of only 93 accredited speakers. Earning that designation this past August at the Toastmasters International Convention in the beautiful Bahamas. Coming to us from Chandler, Arizona, Stephanie Angelo, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Greg. And you know, when you read that introduction, it just made me smile because it brought back such great memories of that convention.
0: Oh, yes. I wish I could have been there. I was there virtually, so I was there in spirit. <laughs> we felt you. Now, of course, it's been a few months since you've achieved your accredited speaker designation. How does it feel, and what does it mean to you?
1: It feels absolutely incredible. It meant to me sort of like the icing on the cake, and I know in Toastmasters we're not supposed to use figures of speech, but I'm going to. It really (laughs) solidified the years of professional speaking that I had done and continued to do. It was a way for me to say, I really am a professional speaker. I can prove that, for lack of a better word, by going through this very rigorous process where we're really looked at with a fine-tooth comb by the judges in round one and then in round two. And so it meant a great deal to me to go through that experience and succeed at that.
0: Wonderful. I know it's been a while, but maybe tell us a little bit about your actual accredited speaker journey, because it's more than just that one day at the convention. And perhaps might there have been any hiccups along the way? Several.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you knew all the hiccups, you'd think, boy, that person has a problem with alcohol. <laughs> I've been open about this in other interviews that I've done for Toastmasters, that I did not really make it through level one the first time I applied, which was in 2022. I had seven of my speeches declined by the judges because the audience size was too small. And a lot of that was my fault because I had misread and misunderstood the directions at the top of the application To Toastmasters' credit, when I brought the verbiage of that application to their attention, they actually have changed it. So the new application has it much clearer. Now, part of the reason that those audience sizes were not big enough was, of course, those were the COVID years when you thought you were going to have a certain number of people in the audience, and then the day of, they didn't show. Things happen sometimes that aren't necessarily in the speaker's control. So that left me really no choice but to wait another year Accumulate more professional speaking engagements, which I had done, and then reapplying in January of 2023 so that I was able to go through the whole level one inspection, for lack of another word, of the judges, made it through level one. And then, of course, you saw that I did the final speech for level two in the Bahamas. And during that time, there are also things that the judges come back and may ask you for. They might ask for additional information on a particular speech or the way you filled something out. Uh, They ask for proof of, do you have a license to use the certain photos that are in your PowerPoint? You know, there, there are a lot of things that happen In the meantime. So it's a very, very active process. It's an extremely rigorous process. I think for professional speakers, if you're already keeping really good records of all of your work, then it's going to help you that much more if you plan on applying for the accredited speaker designation.
0: Yeah, and thus the value. And that's why there are only 93 in the world since 1981. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your presentation, Ethicure. It's called Ethicure, where ethics and culture merge. And I'll have to admit, I don't think I've ever heard that word ethicure before.
1: Well, it's actually ethicure, and ethiture is a word that I invented, and it's ethics and culture together. So I took the first half of the word ethics, and then the last half of the word culture, and I put them together, and I made ethiture, and I've trademarked that word. I own it, and I use that to talk about how we create these great company cultures where you really use ethics and the values that you determine as an organization that you will share among all members of that organization and how those values then become the culture of the organization. And I use that word in several different workshops that I do with my clients. And then, of course, there's the game that we can talk about at some point as well that you mentioned in the introduction. But that's really why you haven't heard that word ethicure, because it's it's been gaining more attention and more traction as I build the speaking engagements around that word.
0: You're right. I have the word ethicure here with the registered trademark next to it. And when I was typing it up, I put ethics and culture. I put ethicure. So <laughs> obviously you're very thorough. I mean, you found you helped correct some verbiage and you corrected me. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> Well, thank you. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about the presentation overall, what it was about, maybe even sharing a small story.
1: Most of the time when I do that, it's keynote forum in about an hour, or it's an actual workshop, which can be from anywhere from an hour to three hours, four hours long. And so for what you saw in the Bahamas, we had to distill that down to a very short period of time. We were allowed a window of 15 to 18 minutes. So part of the process is taking all of this information that you share with your clients and taking out the most salient points and thinking, is this what the judges would want to hear? Is this what's going to make a good example of what I do share with my clients? Because that's what the judges, of course, are looking for in, in the level two presentation. The workshop really consists of telling stories, many of them from my own background in my own career in human resources and how some of these things have affected me, not only the very, unfortunately, negative stories and the learning that came of those, but the very positive ones. And I tell stories about very, maybe negative and toxic, if you will, leaders that I worked for, and then conversely, the really great leaders I worked for and how those leaders affect the entire workplace The entire culture of the organization and the culture, like I say in the presentation, is kind of like the organization's personality. Mm -hmm. It's the way it thinks, it acts, it feels. But when you're an organization, there's an entire community of people who think, act, and feel relatively the same way if you have a shared set of values that everybody can buy into. When you don't have that, you have these toxic workplaces that suffer from terrible turnover and other issues. So when I do the presentation of Effature, that's really what it incorporates. I I start with stories so that people can relate to them. And then we talk a little bit about what really is the benefit? What's the financial purpose of this for your organization? Why does your organization really care? Why should it care? And so in Ethicure, I shared some actual statistics from surveys of people. I share some information on how much that can cost literally in dollars and cents. How much does it cost your organization? So when I have the opportunity, Greg, to talk with groups and work with client companies, we actually do the math. We have formulas. And so when you put it out there in black and white, a lot of times the leaders will go, whoa. This I didn't know. The proof is in the numbers. They don't lie. And so you really have to look at that. You have to have fiduciary responsibility to your organization. So we look at all of that and then we say, here's what we can do about it. Talking with the employees, doing exercises with them, having open discussion with them, often playing the company culture game that I created, all helps that conversation. And then the outcome of that is we actually create initiatives for that organization. They create them together as a collective team, whether it's organization-wide or just divisions, departments, teams. It just depends on what the client really wants. And then we can revisit those on like a quarterly basis to see how they're going. And what I try to encourage companies to do, Greg, is to redo the whole process in about a year because by that time, you will have some people that have left and new people that have come that need to be incorporated into this whole discussion. And you need to keep it alive. Remember in the the presentation, I talk about slaying the villain of stagnation. Mm -hmm. Stagnation is that awful thing that happens when we sit down and we get too comfortable. This is the way it's always been. This is what we like to do. We don't want to change anything. And there are a lot of reasons why people feel that way. We need to shake that up and make sure that we don't stay comfortable and we don't get stagnant. So I talk about slaying the villain of stagnation.
0: Nice. Tell us a little bit about the games.
1: The first game that I invented, Outrage, was back in the years when I spent, when it was about 16 years, I spoke pretty exclusively on the spillover of intimate partner violence, which some people know more commonly as domestic violence, when that spills over into the workplace. I learned from my human resources experience that HR people, who are my peeps, so to speak, were woefully undertrained how to identify this in the workplace. And they also didn't really understand that offenders work for you every bit as much as survivors slash victims do. Outrage was created with another... working partner with of mine at that time, who had counseled over 3,500 offenders, mostly male, but often female. And we actually invented that as part of the curriculum for offender treatment groups. But we found that law enforcement, therapists, and even schools in higher grades, I would not want this for elementary or middle school age children. The other game, though, which is the company culture board game, a game of workplace traction, not transaction enables people to be in the shoes of the hourly employee or the management. And you have things that happen in the game based on drawing of the cards that might make somebody violate a company principle and be sent back to start or they go to jail for something or it's a policy and a procedure conversation we can have. And it really talks about values in organizations intended to elicit people to talk about what's going on in the organization. The other fun thing about it is it doesn't just have to be hourly employees versus like senior management. You can also play it in such a way as having remote workers, and the people that work internally, or people who are in the office and out in the field. There are many ways that you can make it suit your own environment. And every single card in the game came from an actual incident that I dealt with in my years in human resources. They're very real, very relatable. I've had human resources people, employees, managers all say, Wow, I saw myself in that
0: one. Wow. And Stephanie, although you've coined the term ethicure, and perhaps it might be a new term that we're using now. Obviously, the, the marriage between ethics and culture is, is a huge, huge, huge topic. And if you can find a way of keeping people happily married in that culture using games, that's absolutely incredible. Thank you. Just before we wrap up and we ask you where people can find you, I'm just curious. You left Toastmasters in the early 2000s and you came back. Why was that?
1: In the early 2000s, when I was in Toastmasters, I was also fairly new in my professional speaking career. And we had the legacy program and we didn't have pathways. So at that time, I found it difficult to find time to create my Toastmasters speeches when I was also really concentrating on the speeches that I had to do professionally. I left. I I just couldn't find the time to make it all work and fit for me. When I came back to Toastmasters in 2000, 2000s, in the later 2000s, when I came back, it was actually before Pathways started. But what I said to the club when I came back was, I would like to use Toastmasters this time to practice the speeches that I'm doing professionally. Is that possible? And they said yes. So they were very, very supportive of it. And then when Pathways came around a couple of years later, I was still able to do that. Because let's say, for example, in Pathways, you have to do a speech that's based on vocal variety, Mm -hmm. that gave me an opportunity to take a seven-minute chunk of a presentation I was doing for a client coming up and just really focus on the vocal variety or whatever it may be for that. So I was able to still, in most cases, sometimes I had to do a specific speech for the Pathway project, but in most cases I was able to really make it work for me that just was a huge change in an asset to my professionalism.
0: That's wonderful, Stephanie. And finally, how can people reach you if they want to find out more?
1: They can reach me by going to my website, which is just stephanieangelo.com. And my email is stephanie at stephanieangelo.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. So I'm pretty findable. And I hope that people do reach out. I'm happy to help them and happy to answer questions.
0: I'll mention that there is a profile on the three newest accredited speakers in the January 2024 issue of the Toastmaster magazine. Stephanie Angelo, congratulations once again on becoming one of the only 93 accredited speakers in the world, and I wish you all the best in the future.
1: Thank you so much, Greg.
0: We're speaking to Verity Price. Verity is a professional speaker, facilitator, and coach. Formerly professional singer, Verity facilitates and speaks, tailoring her talks and programs in areas of innovation, positive psychology, and presenting with power for varied organizations and industries. Verity works with multinational teams across the globe. This includes delivering keynotes, holding masterclasses, and conducting workshops. Verity is also a faculty member of a top business school in Africa, the University of Cape Town Graduate School of Business. If that's not enough, Verity is also a DeBono Accredited Facilitator, an Insights Discovery Accredited Facilitator, a two-time TEDx speaker. Verity has been a Toastmaster since 2011, and we spoke with Verity on Episode 190 back in October 2021, when she was crowned that year's World Champion of Public Speaking. Coming to us today from Cape Town, South Africa, welcome Verity Price. (laughs)
2: Thank you. So lovely to be with you.
0: Oh, it's been great. So 2021 World Champion of Public Speaking, 2023 accredited speaker. It's an amazing feat. Now, very few of us would get even close to getting one of those, never mind two. So I'm curious if you could take a step back and recall, how did you feel each time and how is it different becoming an accredited speaker from a world champion public speaker?
2: Wow they are very, very different journeys I can I can definitely attest to that. So the world champion, it's a contest. It is you're putting everything out there to see if you can go through the stages and, and make that coveted final stage and and be lucky enough to win. And it was surreal when I actually won. I think three years on, I'm still pinching myself that it (laughs) it worked. (laughs) Um, And it was life-changing. It really opened up the world for me to serve not only in Toastmasters more, but also open up incredible professional opportunities. When I decided to go for the accredited speaker's designation in 2023, that for me was really to to get a, a stamp of approval of the work I do as a professional speaker. So it is bigger than Toastmasters in many ways. I feel it's beyond Toastmasters. And just to have the opportunity to review my professional work, to gather references from my clients, to find video footage. I love the journey of putting everything together for the Accredited Speakers Program because it was a way of reflecting on my professional journey as a presenter and as a speaker and then to actually make it through level 1 and get to speak on stage at the level 2 in Bahamas was extraordinary so it it was a very different accomplishment and it just felt like such a beautiful stamp of approval for my professional work
0: now obviously you you seem to be a motivated individual was there was there anything that might have held you back in terms of achieving your accredited speaker designation
2: so in terms of the process and when I read what the requirements were it was it was quite nice to go oh I actually meet all these requirements and now I just have to spend the time putting it together so I was I was quite confident on that part of it but when I heard I was through for level 2 the the hard part for me was do I present my level 2 speech virtually and not travel halfway around the world and take 10 days out of my professional work to be at the convention, or do I take a risk and a chance and travel halfway around the world? And I grappled with that for a good two months. It was a, it was a difficult decision. It was expensive. It was long traveling, big time differences. And so that was the hard part for me. And I'm so grateful that um, a whole lot of little things conspired For me to be in the Bahamas, to be in person and be on that stage with my other accredited speaker participants, it was extraordinary.
0: I'm sure it was a tough place to be the Bahamas, right?
2: Oh, it was very (laughs) hard. It was very hard.
0: (laughs) Verity, your accredited speaker presentation, I believe, was called Think Ahead of the Crowd. Tell us a little bit about the presentation and what was it that you were trying to accomplish with that presentation?
2: So Greg, that's the the talk that made me a professional speaker. I was a professional singer and back in 2005, I had a wild idea to crowdfund an album. At the time, I didn't know that what I was doing was crowdfunding because no one had ever done it before. I was one of the world's first online crowdfunders asking people to buy an album I hadn't recorded. That talk takes people through the thinking, the kind of strategic thinking framework I used to come up with an innovative and pioneering idea, and then shares with them the results I achieved. And for me, that's my kind of flagship talk that I have been doing for the last 15 years, showing people that when they change their thinking, they change their results, and really just using my personal journey as a case study to go Here's what I did. Here's what I achieved. Now let's look at your life and how could you apply this kind of thinking to any problem or opportunity you're trying to make the most of.
0: I think it's great because you use the you use the CDs and use the singing, that it's something that people could really relate to no matter what they were doing. And it seems mm-hmm. to be very, very unique as a starting point. And I I recall listening to the interview you had with the first vice president And that was one of the things I think that came out in the discussion was the fact there are many people that talk on similar type topics, but this particular story is something that was able to basically differentiate you from the crowd. Yeah. This is something I always wonder is that you sometimes see in Hollywood or movies, you see people going from singing to acting or from acting to what have you. How did you shift from singing to speaking? And were there any challenges with respect to doing that?
2: It was very organic for me. I didn't realize it was happening at the time because I was speaking to ask people to buy my album. So that carried on for about two years that I was speaking at any event I could be at and then be selling my album that didn't exist at the back of the room, getting people to sign up. Once the album was recorded, Suddenly people were going, well, you're not selling the album anymore, but can you come tell our business or at our conference, tell us about what you did and how can we do the same thing? And so it happened very organically. I actually only realized I'd stopped singing about five months after my last performance. I suddenly went, oh, I'm not booking shows anymore and I'm doing this more. So it, it wasn't something I consciously created. And I know I'm very blessed to have stumbled into a professional speaking career because I know it's a hard thing to get into.
0: There's a couple things in the presentation that resonated with me. And I love the fact that you use these, let's, we'll call them phrases for lack of a better term. One of them was, your word creates your world. Can you explain a little bit about that?
2: That's something that happened on stage in the early, early stages of me speaking. And the one day I was just talking about what had happened for me. And I, I said, your word creates your world. And it's it was this realization as I look back over that journey was that what I'd said I was going to do was what I had done. So that is one of the cornerstone phrases in all my work that I do with companies and at events is letting people really think about how is my word creating my world? Am I speaking about the future in a way that excites me, that delights me, that gets me fired up? Or am I speaking about failure and frustration? Because whatever you're speaking about is what you're going to bring about.
0: Oh, interesting. And the other one I was curious about, is you say, ask extraordinary questions. How? What does that mean? How does one go about creating these extraordinary questions?
2: So that is key in strategic thinking and innovation thinking. So when you're really trying to solve a problem, the first place you have to start in the thinking process is with, am I asking the right question? And what I see professionally is that in many businesses, people ask safe questions. They ask questions in a way that they can avoid failure or they ask a question in such a complicated way that they're never going to solve it. So what I mean by that, I will see companies go, how can we improve efficiency and morale in our business? Now, your brain can't think about two things at the same th- time. So it is a far more extraordinary question to say, how could we quickly improve morale in our business in the next week? That is a very different question it creates. stretch. It gets you to think in a specific direction. So, extraordinary questions for me always start with how can we or how do we? They have one focus. So, you're only trying to solve one problem and they have a qualifier or a quantifier. So, you put in the word enthusiastically or how can we delight our customers in an exciting way? So, you really put the intention into the question. And then you can quantify it by 20% or in the next three months, because the more specific you make that focus, the more directed your brain becomes on solving the problem and coming up with exciting ideas.
0: Well, that's very different than as to how do we keep our customers happy? You know, how do we make them feel? And one last item. I love when you say look at the positive before the problem. Typically Mm. we have a problem and we dwell on it. And it usually the positive is something that's well, maybe down the road. How does that work?
2: So this is crucial in thinking Uh, the way our brain is designed is we are designed to look for problems because that's what helps us survive. And and I'm not sure who said it, but I love it. They said our brain is Velcro for negativity and Teflon (laughs) for positivity You know, so that the negative stuff sticks and the positive stuff just slides away and we forget about it. So our default is going to be to think about negatives, to look at the problems, all the reasons we might fail, the risks, the concerns. If we allow ourselves to do that first, from a brain chemistry perspective, there is increased cortisol and adrenaline. Everyone has gone into fight or flight. So in a thinking environment, it's crucial That you first look at what's working, what's gone well, what are the possible positive outcomes of this, and get everyone's brain, you know, with high cortisol, high serotonin before you go, okay, now let's look at what's not working. Because then they're in a far less triggered space, and you're able to go, okay, I know these are the problems, but we've already seen what the positives are. So this is a very important part of thinking, look at what's working before you look at what's not working.
0: Velcro and Teflon, just two yeah. words that bring up this incredible amount of imagery. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I can't quote who said it because I, I, it's something I heard years ago and I just, it's it stuck for me, but I can't remember who said it.
0: <laughs> Verity, you started speaking in 2007. You joined Toastmasters four years later. What made you decide to join Toastmasters and what keeps you part of the organization?
2: I joined Toastmasters for fun, that's the truth. My sister Kay, my older sister, joined because she was trying to face a fear of speaking. She invited me to come and listen to her icebreaker speech in January 2011. From that first meeting, seeing how she was so supported and encouraged by her club members, I just had this yes feeling about this little meeting I'd walked into and when they said do you want to join our club I was like absolutely I'd love to and I had no idea that saying yes to becoming a member in January 2011 was about to change my life. A lot of why I stayed for as long as I did long time before the world championship was because of the leadership opportunities. I loved being part of my club committee, I loved being part of a division as a division director really serving mentoring helping watching people grow it really is an organization that fills me up and then i left i left in 2019 when my little boy was was due to be born so i gave my last speech 2 weeks before his birth and i left <laughs> toastmasters and that would have been where the story ended i would have you know just been in motherhood and we went into lockdown But one of the clubs I'd helped to charter was struggling at the start of lockdown. And I rejoined as president of their club to help get the club going again. And that changed my life because that got me into competing the next year. And this organization has completely changed my life and I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I will be here for a long time.
0: (laughs) Uh, We are so glad that you decided to join and you decided To stay. In fact, you were mentioning, I think, I believe that the video that you submitted for your application, was it not one where you were pregnant?
2: (laughs) Yes, it is. It was the only decent uh, video I had of me on stage from before pre-lockdown and uh, I was heavily pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was glad they accepted it. I thought, I don't want to send a virtual video. I I wanted, you know, a live audience so they could really see how I normally speak, because everyone knows me as a virtual world champion.
0: (laughs) I guess you were a little worried about that at the time, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's a big reason why I also went to the Bahamas. I thought if I do this virtually, I'm going to be stuck on a Zoom screen for the rest of my life. They need to know I'm a real person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Verity, this has been absolutely delightful. If someone wants to connect with you or find a little bit more about Verity Price, what do they need to do?
2: They can visit my website, verityprice.com. It's got all my details. People can get in touch. They can sign up for my newsletter with regular speaking tips. And follow me on social media at Verity Speaks. I like to keep sharing what I'm learning so that I can share the inspiration.
0: Verity Price, once again, congratulations on your second major Toastmasters <laughs> achievement, the accredited speaker designation. And I wish you all the best in your future endeavors.
2: Thank you so much.
3: My guest is distinguished Toastmaster Dale Reese Bevan, a trainer, author, speaker, and coach specializing in working with professional service providers. For the last 20 years, Dale has helped thousands of people find their voice and articulate their full value to the world. Her book, The Speaking Formula, is being used by individuals and trainers worldwide, and Dale is, of course, one of the world's newest accredited speakers, and so accredited speaker, Dale Reese bevan Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast.
4: Thanks very much, Ryan. Lovely to be here.
3: Great to have you. And congratulations, one of the newest accredited speakers in the world. How does that feel?
4: It's fantastic. Thank you very much. It was definitely one of the most exciting accomplishments or achievements that I've experienced.
3: I wonder if you could take us back to the beginning. How did you get started with Toastmasters initially and more broadly as a professional speaker? Which came first here, the chicken or the egg?
4: I started a Toastmasters youth leadership when I was about 15 and really loved it. So as soon as I was old enough to be allowed to join a club, I did so. That was back in Cape Town in South Africa. And I, I I did Toastmasters for a while. I got involved in running youth leaderships. I then started setting up my own programs. And it all kind of snowballed from there.
3: When did you first have the inkling that speaking professionally is something that you might want to do?
4: I started off as an English and French teacher. And uh-huh. I was working in a school and decided to run a youth leadership program for the students. And after a while, some of the teachers approached me and said, you know, that program you're doing for the students, do you think you could put something together for the staff? That was my light bulb moment. I I think one of the things about helping people with their speaking is that sense of empowerment that, you give them and the, the excitement that they have with what they can do, whereas I didn't get a lot of students coming up to me saying, thank you for teaching me that <sighs> French verb.
3: <laughs> it
4: just wasn't the same <laughs>
3: response. Mm.
4: So it was an it was an easy choice to move into doing that full time. I, I have spent most of my career more as a trainer and a coach than a professional speaker, but it's always exciting to be invited to speak at conferences or, you know, sales kickoffs or whatever it is. So and that is definitely happening more and more. So that's mm. enjoyable.
3: What are some of the topics that you train on?
4: Largely, it's presentation skills, but Mm -hmm. I I move into any space that deals with communication. So, Fearless Feedback is a talk that I've developed in the last couple of years. That's something that touches on a pain point for a lot of people. And the other one is how to use communication and speaking skills productively in the workplace. So, for example, I think when we teach presentation skills, it's often done in a little bit of a vacuum, you know, stand up and give your presentation. Here's the PowerPoint, do your talking, finished, and that's it.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and one of the things I like to explore is how can you maximize those skills for greater productivity and outcomes in the workplace, starting your meetings with a little talk, starting any kind of gatherings at work with some storytelling, using speaking for things like farewell speeches, welcome speeches, consciously taking advantage of opportunities in day-to-day life to use those skills that you're developing.
3: Yeah, I think that's what's so amazing. They are meta skills that make everything we work on better and make us more effective in whatever realm when you have that breakthrough and know that how oh, this is gonna cascade into so many different areas of life, it's yeah. it's quite exciting. Yeah. It mm. is. How about uh Dale, the accredited speaker journey? Uh, can you tell us about when that first came on the radar for you?
4: I'm g- hazarding, I guess it was around twenty seventeen. I first started becoming aware of it. By the time I did apply, it was fairly straightforward. The big thing is, have you got the gigs? Have you got enough evidence that you have been working consistently in that field, delivered lots of talks and workshops? I definitely had that. The hard part is getting the video evidence because Not a lot of clients are happy for you to go in with a video camera and record what you're doing with them. Mm -hmm. When I did manage to set something up, I was very conscious of trying to meet the accredited speaker criteria, I made the mistake of doing too much talking because I tend to deliver hour-long workshops, which are much more interactive. I sort of had this idea that the accredited speaker panel was going to look for just speaking. Mm -hmm. So I gave a half-hour talk, and ironically, the feedback that I got was, you don't interact enough. Oh boy! <laughs> and, um, so it was great learning, though. You know, don't yeah. mind read. Don't make assumptions about what people on the other side are looking for. Just do you, <laughs> do right. what you do. And so the following year, I just said, "Okay, I'm just not going to worry about what the judges are, are war- worrying about, and do my thing." and And that was fine. I got great feedback from that, and. Obviously, passed that first level and was lucky enough to get to go and present in the Bahamas.
3: And you nailed it. Let's talk about the presentation. Your topic was the con in confidence. Share the theme of the presentation obviously, confidence, but how does con fit in there? <laughs>
4: For me, it's it's largely about exploring the, the fake it till you make it concept. Mm-hmm. My main message is understanding that confidence is a behavior and behaviors can be mimicked and learned and developed. I think we need to recognize that it's something you can develop and, and expand your confidence, increase your confidence. And it's done by mimicking the behaviors of confident people. I just like the idea of making it accessible, doable, and it's something that I've done in my own life. I remember going out with a trainer in in my fairly early days of presentation skills training, and she was a very confident woman. And we walked down the hallway and she tripped And it was in front of the clients and she stumbled over something and went, whoops, that wasn't a great start, was it? And laughed (laughs) and carried on. It's those sort of things I sort of step back and go, oh, okay. So all she does when she stuffs something up is laugh at herself and move on. And it's yeah. attractive, it's endearing, and nobody bats an eyelid. Um, so it was it was just by observing behaviors like that in other people that I started to amass this sort of conscious set of what you should do to appear confident, as with anything. The more you do it, the more it becomes natural. And when it becomes your default behavior, that's when you're confident.
3: Mm. Well, In fact, one of my favorite moments of your presentation was when a member of your audience was trying to say something to you and you couldn't hear what they were saying. It was sort of one of those crossroads where it could go one of two ways. (laughs) And you so confidently said, I I may be paraphrasing here. I can't hear exactly what you're saying, but I sure look forward to catching up with you after the presentation. (laughs) Tell me about that moment. What was going through your mind?
4: It was funny because you can't actually hear it on the audio, but apparently ah. what he said was LA Confidential had also got a whole lot of Oscars that year and someone else in the audience responded to it and then I think someone else told whoever it was to keep quiet. and So there was there was actually a whole bit of a conversation going on. <laughs> And all I was aware of was that words were happening in the audience. But as you heard, I couldn't hear what it was. And I I think that's the value of experience. I have given hundreds of workshops. I have dealt with a lot of interruptions, a lot of curveballs. All I was trying to do was be as polite as possible to acknowledge that the person clearly had something that he wanted to contribute, Right,
3: that
4: right. this wasn't the space. And I will confess, at the time, I had this moment of panic, of... I have 18 minutes to do this talk. I cannot waste <laughs> right. time on yeah. this conversation yeah. to move on. I didn't want to be disrespectful. I just wanted to keep the, the process moving.
3: Yeah. yeah. To me, it seemed like it was a service to the audience. You had a responsibility to keep things moving, and that's what you did.
4: I think another perspective is that he was so engaged; he wanted to take mm. part in the conversation. And yeah. and I think as speakers, we need to recognize things like that. That's that's actually wonderful. Yeah, you know, no, that's to be caught up in whatever's happening. So,
3: right, that is definitely a win as a speaker that you've helped this audience member transcend the context of this is an accredited speaker speech that's being timed, and there's a lot at stake. And he was so caught up in the content that, yeah, yeah. like you said, he wanted to contribute. And I know, you know, you wanted some audience interaction, but maybe that wasn't exactly <laughs> the level you had in mind.
2: That's um, yeah, all good.
3: Dale, what was it like when you were waiting for the results and wondering, did I do enough to secure the accredited speaker designation? What was your state of mind?
4: The three women who were involved, we actually went off for a drink at one of the little island bars <laughs> so mm, nice. that, that was lovely, and we were all chatting together and and I think it was wonderful to hold that space together, all equally excited and nervous. But generally, I think I felt that the audience response had been so warm and Mm. so enthusiastic that I was actually really happy with it. I was in the headspace of, well, okay, if the judges don't like it, I'm sure there's valuable learning. I was at peace with that. But Mm. I was more just, I got a good audience response. I loved the experience. That was great.
3: Yeah, that's a a victory in and of itself. Uh, Yeah, then the results are the results. And in this case, they were the best possible outcome <laughs> that you could have hoped for. Yeah. What's next for you, Dale?
4: I've written a book called The Speaking Formula, as you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, and I have a lot of material amassed to put together the advanced speaking formula. So that's Ooh. that's one of the projects that is underway. Further than that, I think it's just building my business and furthering my speaking, I recently became a DISC-accredited trainer. I don't know if you're familiar with the DISC program, yes. the DISC behaviors, yep. yep. So I I love that. I, le- I really love DISC, so I'm looking forward to doing uh, some training in that space as well and combining it with behavior and communication styles and, mm. and that intersection. So yeah, lots of exciting exciting things ahead this year.
3: Dale, I'm sure many of our listeners are going to want to be keeping tabs on what you're up to and perhaps maybe want to reach out and book you for an upcoming event that they may be responsible for. To that end, what's the best way for listeners to connect with you online?
4: Through my websites, probably the easiest way, daleresebevan.com or LinkedIn. I'm very fortunate having a unique name, so you're not likely to get the wrong person.
3: I will have a link to your website and your LinkedIn in the show notes for this episode.
4: Lovely. Thank you so much.
3: Dale Rees-Bevan, thank you for coming on the show, for sharing your story, and congratulations once again on being one of the newest accredited speakers in the world. Tremendous.
4: It's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely to meet you, Ryan. Thank you.
0: Wasn't that incredible? Now, folks, if you've been inspired and enjoyed this episode as much as I have, please take an opportunity to share it with your friends and family and other Toastmasters. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com. Toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also read the profile entitled Three New Accredited Speakers Emerge in the January 2024 issue of the Toastmaster magazine. Now, if that's not enough, you can also watch the full accredited speaker presentations that were given in front of the panel of judges at the convention. We'll put the links to these and all the other things we spoke about in the show notes. Till the next time, thanks for tuning in. To the Toastmasters podcast. Ever imagined a book written just for you? Introducing Books.ai. We're not just another bookstore, we're the future of reading. Our state of the art AI adapts each book to your specific needs, creating a personalized masterpiece. Visit pooks.ai now, that's P-O-O-K-S dot A-I, and use the promotion code SPOTIFY for a whopping 50% off. Pooks.ai, your personalized book awaits.